Church, feel free to hum along or even to sing along if you know the lyrics of this catchy tune popular in the early 90s. Scooby-dooby-doo, where are you? We go, got some work to do now. Come on. Scooby-dooby-doo, where are you? We need some help from you now. You probably don't know this part. It's really catchy. You know we got a mystery to solve, so Scooby-Dooby, ready for your act. Don't hold back. And Scooby-Doo, if you come through, you're going to have yourself a Scooby snack. That's a fact. That's right. Oliver Wilkins helped me with that. He knew the lyrics to that song. I didn't know that Scooby-Doo had been reinvented. There's version 2.0 out right now. Scooby-Doo Show was popular because there was a mystery to be solved and then to be revealed. Uh, The same is true with shows like Inspector Gadget or Carmen Sandiego, which was my first video game. I don't even remember how. Thank you, Anne. Yeah. Um, I guess it shows that smart people like you and me, (laughs) just kidding, you're in a different class, Um, but I'm thankful for Carmen Sandiego. Uh, We're all innately curious for a mystery to be understood and then to be figured out or to be revealed. That desire in us doesn't just stop when we're kids. That's why, has anyone read a John Grisham novel before? Okay, that's why John Grisham novels are so entertaining. Uh, you think you know what's going on and then you don't. And there, know there's a mystery and you can't wait to get to the end to figure out who the suspect was, how things unfolded. I just finished a, a John Grisham novel and I was about a quarter of the way through and I looked up. Katie was sitting over there and said, Katie, I think I know what's going to happen here. I think I figured it out. Like I fooled John Grisham. He didn't fool me. And I keep reading, and then I realize I was completely wrong. And she, at the time when I told her I thought I figured out, she said, you think he might know not to reveal something so obvious so soon in a book? She is right, and she was wise. Uh, The New Testament uses the word mystery around 20 times. The majority of those occurrences are in Ephesians or Colossians. But it uses the word mystery a bit different than the way that Scooby-Doo, Inspector Gadgets, or Carmen Sandiego used the word, used the word mystery. Mystery in the New Testament is not really a puzzle to be solved, but rather something that was kept hidden, but now is made known by God. That's important. It really was, is not used as a puzzle, like a Scooby-Doo mystery to be solved, but more as something that was hidden but now has been revealed. So what is God's mystery and why is it mentioned so much in Ephesians and Colossians and in other places in Scripture? In short, Colossians 2 says that Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that Christ is the mystery. Particularly his death, burial, and resurrection. Ephesians gets a little bit more specific with this mystery. 
saying that this mystery of God is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery is then made known, is manifested through the church, local churches. We are going to talk a lot about this mystery in our Ephesians series. We'll see more of the mystery and what it means and implications, how it's displayed to the world. But in God's wisdom, we see how this plan of his unfolds in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 18 and 19, and in other places in Acts, we see that the mystery is unfolding. So what is true in Ephesians, what he's explaining in Ephesians, we see how it unfolds in the book of Acts. So just around 1,950 years ago, in a city called Ephesus, Paul and other disciples are proclaiming this mystery. So yesterday I decided to take two weeks to cover the ministry in Ephesus rather than one because it was just so much and so good. I didn't want to skip over all the things I needed to skip over in order to finish a sermon in a decent amount of time. So for this morning, we're going to look at Acts chapter 18, 19, 18 verses 19 to chapter 19, verse 10. Acts 18, 19 to chapter 19, verse 10. That's found on page 927 of your pew Bible. Page 927 of your pew Bible. Let me read the text and then we will pray. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, do you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. 
And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the ability to see that Christ is king. We thank you that you have given us eyes to see, ears to hear the good news of Jesus. We pray that as your followers, we would be encouraged by your word here. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would hate our sin and love Christ. We pray for anyone in our midst who does not yet know you. We pray that you would help them to see the mystery revealed in Christ. Give me help as I preach in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, we're going to see two things, the unfolding of the mystery of the gospel to the Jews. That's chapter 18, verses 19 to 28. The unfolding of the mystery of the gospel to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, which is chapter 19, 1 to 10. And then we are going to have some application at the end. So we see the mystery unfolding to the Jews, mystery unfolding to the Gentiles, and then some application from what we see. First off, we notice that Paul, in chapter 18, verse 19, arrives in Ephesus with Priscilla and Aquila, two of his friends and gospel partners. They then stayed in the city, but Paul, meanwhile, found the synagogue and started reasoning with who? With the Jews. He knew where to find the Jewish people, and he knew what he wanted to do with them. He wanted to go there, open up the scriptures, and explain to them that Jesus who has been heard about all throughout the region, is the Christ from the scriptures. And so he goes to the religious center, to the synagogue. And then we see in his ministry after that, he's going around and he's encouraging the churches. He's teaching disciples. And just know that's a very worthy ministry in scripture. You don't have to merely be an evangelist, so Paul was both. But he goes around and he's strengthening the churches, already established churches, Teaching them the scriptures. Training and equipping already disciples is a good and biblical practice. And then we see in verse 24, Luke, the author of Acts, the human author, goes from Paul's ministry and he goes to a man named Apollos. And there we have in verse 24, a Jew, notice that he is also Jewish, named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. Alexandria is a city in Egypt. 
He came up to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. And what's special about him? He also knew the scriptures. But he only knew the baptism of John. So Paul's doing his ministry. And Apollos comes up from Alexandria in Egypt to the city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey near the uh, metropolitan area of Izmir, Turkey. So Paul goes up there. uh, Apollos comes up to Ephesus. And what's noted about him is that, one, he's Jewish. And he's also competent in the scriptures. What we also know about Paul is that he's going to the synagogue. So the author is telling us something about this gospel going forth. Right now, it's going forth through to the Jewish people. And when he's explained the scriptures, if, if, if you're a little familiar to, if you're new and unfamiliar to Christianity, when it says that in the book of Acts, what he's saying is that he's opening up the Old Testament. So if you take uh, your Bible in front of you, you have your, your Old Testament, your New Testament. The Old Testament is roughly uh, three quarters of, of the Bible that we have here. And so that's the scroll that he's opening up, likely knowing a lot already in his head, hiding God's word in his heart. And that's what he's explaining. Apollos was teaching right things about Jesus. Maybe he was one of the many disciples who followed him while he was alive. He knew enough about Jesus to teach accurately about the prophecies pointing to him. Note that. He knew enough about Jesus from the Old Testament and from Jesus' time on earth to teach about the prophecies pointing to him. He knew enough that John the Baptist was the forerunner prophesied about in Isaiah 40 and in Malachi 3. And he knew that Jesus had lived and had died and had rose and ascended to the Father. But there was something missing from his theology. He doesn't know about the gift from on high that is going to come from the Father. We'll get more into that later in chapter 19. But this sister Priscilla, sister in the Lord, and her husband Aquila, brother in the Lord, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Just note that this isn't the main point of the text. Just what a kindness of Priscilla and Aquila not to stand up in the middle of his teaching and to talk to them about how he's missing some things from his teaching. But he just, they just take him aside and they teach him more accurately the way of the Lord. Church, what we see here is the progressing unfolding of the mystery. Jesus was known by Apollos. His preaching was effective, but the promise of the Holy Spirit was not yet known by him. And then note how his, when he, um, look in verse, uh, look in verse 26. So he's preaching boldly in the synagogue. Then Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way more accurately. And then he wished to cross Achaia. The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those through grace had believed. Now notice how he preaches. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Apollos was always a gifted man. He was a bold man. But now he's a Holy Spirit empowered preacher. Do you see what the author is trying to get us to understand? 
The Holy Spirit brings power to preaching when the preacher opens up God's word and preaches it rightly. Christ is the theme of all the scriptures. And now, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, the unfolding of this mystery, his preaching is powerful. Notice that this is done almost exclusively among the Jewish population. The Jewish people are the ones who had the promises of the Father. This is what Paul means when he says that the power of the gospel is power for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. It doesn't mean that the Jews are superior in any, or any way. It just means that the promises were given and entrusted to them first. Paul talks about this in Romans 1, 16 and 17. The promises were given and entrusted to the Jewish people. But they were never, ever, ever meant to stop with them. And so next we see this movement from ministry amongst Jewish people to ministry amongst Gentiles. So God in his big macro plan, he's starting with Israel. Wanting his plan to be made known through them. That didn't work out. So he goes to Christ, still all part of his good, sovereign plan. And now it's Christ through the church. Israel to Christ, to the church who worships Christ. That's how his plan is made known. So look now at chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Apollos now has moved on to a Gentile city, Corinth. And Paul came up through the southern part of modern day Turkey back to Ephesus, not by boat this time, but by land. And as he did that, he was going to all these regions throughout modern day Turkey. And while there, while when he landed in Ephesus, he found, it just says he found some disciples. And then Paul straight up asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? You might think this was an odd question. Well, because we all receive the Holy Spirit when we believe, right? Uh, that is correct. But there are many disciples throughout Jesus' life that were apart from the 12 apostles. They knew enough about Jesus that they wanted to follow him. They knew enough about Jesus to know he just wasn't your average prophet. But when Jesus rose from the dead, over 500 people saw him. Over 500 people saw him and they told their family and their friends that this man who was crucified by the Romans, this man I saw. So many people followed Jesus and then became dismayed. And then some of them perhaps became dismayed. Some of them encouraged. Some of them maybe don't know what to do with it. But something is deficient in their faith because they haven't been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe they never heard that there was a gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe these disciples thought it was over. But when he rose, they had all the more reason to follow this man as a Christ. And Jesus, after his resurrection, he stayed on earth another 40 days. And then he ascended on high and reigns as king over the world. So what happened between the 40 days of Jesus, uh, after Jesus ascended and the gift of the Holy Spirit? And we see that in the beginning of Acts. We'll turn to that in a little bit. 
Jesus wants his disciples to wait on a power from on high. His disciples already believed in Jesus, but did not receive the promised spirit, which seals the Christian in Christ and emboldens, empowers a Christian to testify about him. John's baptism was turn from your sins because Christ is here. But here they were baptized, as we see in the text, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Which is a smaller version of what already happened a few years earlier on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. That's a lot of, lot of biblical theology. But this is important to understand what God is teaching us through the book of Acts and through the book of Ephesians. Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit. He first said that, go ahead and flip there to John 14. So if you're in Acts now, flip over one book to John chapter 14 and look at verses 16 and 17. Jesus says to his disciples in 14, 16, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So these are disciples. They're following Jesus. But they don't have the gift of the Spirit yet. Flip over a page or two to John 16, verses 7 to 8. Jesus in John 15 says, I am the vine. John 16, now he says again in verse 7 to 8, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the promised gift. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It's better that I go away, disciple. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. All right, flip over to Acts chapter 1. Just the, a few, should be about 10 pages over. Acts chapter 1, look at verse 3, we'll read 3 to 8. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Let me just pause right there. Just, if you're just not a Christian in here, you've never really had the, script, the scriptures explained to you, you never opened them. Just notice what, what the author is trying to do, do here. Uh, people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. They saw him. They touched him. They ate with him. That's what the author is saying. Like all of this is worthless and a big old waste of time if Jesus did not rise from the dead. So we are a bunch of people who think that Jesus was crucified and then three days later he rose from the dead and he lived 40 days on earth. And then he ascended to sit at the right hand of the father. You see that? After his suffering, by many proofs, he presented himself alive, appearing to them. They saw him and speaking about the kingdom of God. People that are dead don't continue to talk. You can't see them walk around. 
That's what the author is saying here. Okay, verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If you want to understand the book of Acts, you have to understand at least these first, all of it, but verses 1 to 8 of chapter 1. And that's what's going on. This mini Pentecost is happening with Paul and these roughly 12 new disciples. And just notice, where is Paul when he's doing this? He's in Ephesus, a very Gentile region. So Acts 1.8 is unfolding before our very eyes in in the book of Acts. We're seeing how God's promises are true. And as our brother Adam prayed, how God keeps his promises. Promises made, promises kept. That's what we're seeing in the book of Acts. The disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, they say, Lord, now are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus could have just flat out rebuked him there. That's the wrong question. You have a very small vision of my kingdom. He said, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father's fixed by his own authority. But this is what you need to know. You wait here. You pray here, and then power from on high will come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what we see through the book of Acts. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They start speaking in different tongues, different languages that no one knows. A lot of people say they must be drunk. And Peter gets up and preaches and says, hey, if you were reading your scripture, you would have been in Joel chapter 2. And you would have known this would happen. And this is happening before your very eyes. A prophecy fulfilled. So jump forward to Acts 19. What's going on there? These people haven't heard of the Holy Spirit. Paul is now an apostle, was sent out one by the, uh, sent out one by the Lord Jesus Christ, confirmed by Peter and the other apostles. He has special authority from the Lord Jesus himself. And so in Acts chapter 19, he's wanting to know, hey, did you hear what happened on the day of Pentecost? Did you hear that Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit? That he said, it's even better if I go away. Because if, if I stay here, then the Father's not going to send the powerful gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is what is happening here. This is God's progressive revelation of sending the helper, the Holy Spirit. And this section particularly is showing the gospel is for Jews and for Gentiles. The the kingdom consists of both. Now look at verses 8 to 10 of chapter 19. I love reading narrative because narrative doesn't necessarily tell you what's happening, but it shows you what's happening. So look at chapter 19 verses 8 to 10. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Okay, so Jewish area. 
But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with them, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. If you remember, in 1819, we started with ministry in the synagogue. Reasoning from the scriptures. And then we get to 1910, 1909, and we are having ministry to the Gentiles in the hall of Tyrannus. Uh, a public hall, open to Gentiles, kind of like a public university. That's where Paul now is preaching. And then you have that summary statement in verse 10. Who's believing? Jews and Greeks. This is divine narrative brilliance. What's going on here? Do you see what God is doing here? He's showing that my kingdom is going to go global. And it's going to be founded upon Christ. And how will people know about Christ? Is that already disciples will preach about Christ to make more disciples. We see again Matthew 28, the Great Commission unfolding before our eyes. And we see that Ephesus is kind of the the beginning of the ends of the earth. This This thing keeps on going and going and going. Centuries keep passing and then it reaches in many parts of the world. This has always been God's plan. And God reveals this in various portions of scripture. And he very clearly in Isaiah 49, he says this. It is to Isaiah 49 verse 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. God says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. God's plan all along. God's mystery to be revealed all along is that through Christ, all nations, all tongues, all tribes would worship him. And that's what God is showing us in the book of Acts, both Jews and Greeks. That's what's going on in Ephesus. You have Jewish people coming to faith. You have non-Jewish or Gentile people coming to faith and joining together in the same church. And as we start our series in Ephesus, we're going to see in very specific, particular ways how these very different, ethnically different people come together to display the mystery of the gospel. But that's not exactly, we don't have many details of what's going on or how to do that now. We just see that in Ephesians. So I have four applications for us, church, before we close. Four applications. One, know God's plan. Know God's plan. Study the Old Testament and how it interacts with the New Testament. Aren't these rich treasures that come forth if we read the ends of the earth and in our mind we think about Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6? Oh, God says this is going to happen at the ends of the earth. It makes sense of the New Testament if we understand our Old Testament. Know God's plan and particularly women. Let me encourage, let me talk to the ladies specifically here in our church. Know the scriptures. I'm so encouraged by the, when we have a woman, a woman lead us in the prayer of confession, it's so scriptural. It's so based on God's word. How encouraging is that? 
I don't know how many of you need to just sit on this, but who explained the scriptures more accurately to Apollos? Aquila, uh, Priscilla, a woman, and her husband, Aquila. They both explained the scriptures to this eloquent man who already knew the scriptures. It's a very good thing that women know the scriptures. Just because we believe the Bible, what it says about uh, preachers and elders and women preaching, that doesn't mean that women shouldn't know the scriptures just as well. There's a sad statistic. I don't know exactly the numbers now, but I remember hearing about it. And I've said it before in this church. Uh, in a particular Muslim country, for every 10 men converts, there's only one female convert. For every 10 male converts to Christianity from Islam, there's only one female convert from Islam to Christianity. In many contexts, women, particularly Muslim women, are going to hear the gospel from other women that they hang out with. It's inappropriate in so many cultures for that a man to be alone with women or women in, in a lot of cultures and unwise in some instances for that to happen. So women, know the scriptures. When you counsel other women, do you have the Bible open or do you have God's word hidden in your heart, ready to disclose scripture? Teach more accurately. Follow in the footsteps of Priscilla here and disciples like Lydia. Know the word. Men in our church, particularly husbands, are you all up in theology? Love talking about it? Do you, do you, do you want to bring your wife into that journey? Or do you say, oh, she's probably not interested in that? Well, these are real questions that, unfortunately, throughout evangelicalism, need to be asked, need to be considered. Know your word. One of the ways we can do that is through uh, workshops like Simeon Trust. I know that Katie Carrington, my wife, and Allison Todd, and a few other ladies are thinking about going to a, a workshop on understanding the scriptures and teaching the scriptures through a ministry called Simeon Trust. See, Jesus came into the culture and elevated the status of women. If you study history at all, that's what he did. And my aunt is an old school feminist, a, an old school hippie, a real life hippie from the 60s, went to Kansas State University and was in that kind of older school of feminism. And I remember talking to her uh, about the scriptures and I knew that she wouldn't love the fact that I was an evangelical Christian, but I was surprised to hear how much she appreciated and acknowledged that Christianity has done more for elevating the status of women than any other movement in history. I was shocked by that. But if you study historically, that is true. Know God's plan. Parents, teach your children the scriptures. Their brains can soak up information like your brain and my brain can't anymore. They might not understand all the things they're learning but they can hide them in their hearts and God can use them one day. And if you are here and your child is not yet a Christian, maybe you have a grown child. But all throughout his or her life, you've explained the scriptures. You've gone to church with them. Know that a lot of the scriptures you've taught them, 
A lot of the scriptures you taught your daughter, your son, they remember. Have a specific prayer that God would make alive those scriptures in their heart. That they might love the Lord Jesus. Secondly, proclaim God's plan. First, know God's plan. Secondly, proclaim God's plan. An obvious application of this portion of Acts and all of Acts is evangelism. And particularly in your evangelism, what do you do? Do you have a, do you have a category for evangelism where you open up the scriptures and explain them? That's mentioned several times throughout, several times. Many times in the book of Acts and in our passage today, he reasoned from the scriptures. In your evangelism, do you reason from the scriptures? I'm not saying other methods aren't effective, but what's the biblical method before our eyes? Open up the Bible, teach people from the scriptures. I'm so encouraged that the, the re, the, the, how God used preaching of the word, opening up the scriptures, studies through Isaiah and the gospel of Mark to save John and Lorna Ogilvie. I remember talking to John after he became a Christian. He just was like, I didn't know that there were prophecies about Jesus and that Jesus fulfilled prophecies. How did he come to that knowledge? Because people opened up the scriptures. He sat under my preaching. Adam and Liz Herman went to John and Lorna's house and opened up the gospel of Mark and just went through it with them. Now also note how long Paul did this. And how long John and Lorna came to our church and sat under the preaching of the word. And how long Adam and Liz went to their house and opened up the gospel of Mark with them. Look, it took Paul two, it says Paul was with them for two years teaching frequently. He wasn't just teaching once a week. He was teaching daily, reasoning, opening up the scriptures. If someone doesn't respond at first... Keep going at it. Keep explaining the scriptures to them. Proclaim God's plan in evangelism by opening up the scriptures. I'm so encouraged by the many students in our church who want to go overseas. Uh, Brother Riley, I see that your parents are here. Sean and Jay Lynn. Uh, thank you for supporting your son in his endeavors. It is a blessing to him and to the nations in your support. It is a worthy investment of time and money because he is proclaiming the mystery hidden for all ages, yet not in these last days. It is revealed in Christ. That is a good, worthy investment, Riley. And Sean J. Lynn, thank you for supporting him that. And church, thank you supporting, for supporting the many fusion students in our church. Proclaim God's plan. Join Cal and others as they meet at 4 o'clock, right, Cal? On Mondays on UMKC's campus. And try to strike up conversations with people about this good news. That Jesus Christ is the king. That he was prophesied about and that he came. Invite people over. Not just people in church but also people who don't know Christ. Part of my coming to faith was being in Christian homes. I understood the scriptures what they were saying. But I couldn't quite yet believe that there was one way to God. But I also knew there was something alluring me with how Christians interacted with each other. And I loved being around Christians. So church, invite other Christians over. And then invite some of your non-Christian family members, neighbors, coworkers over too. 
I was at Loose Park the other day, uh, yesterday, and I ran across a, a Muslim family from Jordan. And I asked him, hey, has any American family ever invited you over to his house? He's been here nine years. He said, I don't know. Uh, one day for Thanksgiving when I was, first got here. Nine years. Do you know how many, how, how many Muslim Turks invited me and my family over to their small apartment? On a weekly basis. We as Christians have a unique opportunity to look particularly for those from other ethnicities, from other nations, and invite them over to our house, give them warm hospitality, and proclaim that Jesus Christ is a mystery hidden for all ages, yet now revealed. Proclaim the gospel. Ask someone to read with you. That's how God saved Andrea. All Colby did was open up, and it was the book of Galatians. The book of John opened up the book of John and went through it with him. And Andrea didn't say, okay, I'm, I, I, you sold me. I believe this in one meeting, but it was week after week after week. I'd see it on Colby's calendar and I pray for it. Reason with people from the scriptures. Thirdly, rejoice in God's plan. Rejoice in God's plan. Christ is a sinner. This is John Owen says this. Christ is a sinner of the mystery of the gospel and forgiveness is laid up in the heart of Christ from the love of the father. In him are all the treasures of it hid. And surely it is no small thing to have the heart of Christ revealed unto us. We're going to see this in the book of Ephesians, but this is a joyful thing to rejoice in God's plan. And fourthly and lastly, trust in God's plan. Trust in God's plan. Jesus said that hard things will happen to many of his followers. If anyone wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he will be persecuted. There is this daily dying to, your, of your, dying to yourself. There is the mockery that Christians face for the way they live their lives. And just as Christians didn't cease to trust God when Stephen was martyred for proclaiming Christ, so too we do not get dismayed. We do not grow faint-hearted when we hear that 37 Eritrean Christians are arrested in two days. When a suicide bomber attacks an Indonesian church as they're worshiping. When over 4 million Myanmar Christians brace for severe persecution. Or when your family shuns you or mocks you or doesn't understand you because of your devotion to Christ. But friends, we have every confidence to trust in God's plans because our Redeemer rose from the dead and he is the conqueror. And in him too, we are conquerors. Friends, this is God's plan unfolding. And next week we get to see how even in the midst, even against evil spirits and evil men, how God's plan continues to go forth. Let me encourage you to go ahead and read that portion of scripture before you come to church on Easter Sunday. And also be praying for Andrea as he gets baptized. Praise God for this mystery. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that your mystery revealed to us unworthy sinners is, a pro, is not a profound puzzle. But it's something that you knew all along. And now by the power of your spirit, you have revealed it to us. Father, we have no merit to bring the table. We have no reason why you have saved us, why you have brought us into your fold. 
And we thank you that one road, this church displays that mystery. We pray that we would continue to display it more and more. Pray that we would know it well from the scriptures and that we would proclaim it frequently in a joyful and confident manner. We thank you for your good work in our church. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.